You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he chose wisely. <laughs> it's Jeff McLarge Huge. Hi, everybody. Hi, Bill. How you doing? Uh, I, ch- I chose wisely from the cup of splendor, or plenty or something. <laughs> cup of, mine was a cup of splendor because we were out of Nutrisweet. Splenda. I'm doing good. I'm in a good mood, but I'm also like hair trigger cranky. Because I've been, I've just been like bombarded with cliches, like over the past like like hour or so. I, you've known me for a long time. I've always, yeah. I, I cannot stand cliches. They're just, it's it's lazy language. They just rub you the wrong way. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I use cliches, it, it's usually few and far between, right? <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're they're a dime a dozen. So they are no, a dime it's, a dozen. That's, yeah. It's pretty close. It's close enough. Close enough for hand grenades. Close enough for government work. No, it's just, yeah, it's just such lazy language. And like half the time people don't even know what the hell they're talking about. They just, right. it's like a reflex. They say it mm-hmm. like, like, oh, like whenever it rains, like really, like it's, you know, it's raining all day. And they're like, oh, good day for sleeping. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Go sleep. I could sleep anytime. I could sleep <laughs> and bail on a spike if I had to. It's true. I like you know, when it rains, it pours. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I figured that out. Or, like or it snows, it also snows. Okay, that's another. Yeah, like another, like this time of the year, right? It's like it, you get like a big, heavy, rainy day, and like, oh, imagine if this was all snow. Yeah, imagine if this was all chocolate pudding. What a fucking mess that would be. <laughs> I'm gonna need a bigger shovel. Uh. <laughs> imagine if this was all scorpions. Ah! <laughs> I'm not going out there. I'm not doing it. I need a snowblower, not a scorpion smasher. <laughs> I have my I have my irks too. As a writer, you, you know, you're typically taught to try not to use cliched language when you write. So I'm a, a, tone, a tone to it. I'm also a tone to to malapropisms, which seem a what malapropisms is is like wrongly attributed language or using language incorrectly. Okay, you think it means something, but it means something else, and people do that. They fall into uh, they fall into using malapropisms all the time. Some sort of famous examples are like. Good old former President George W. Bush would say, like, I want every American to give 4,000 years of their life to service. Like, 4,000 years is a long time. <laughs> or, you know, we want you to put food on your family. Um, another one that's not not the smartest of uh, things to say. And it's a malapropism. He's trying to say something else, but what comes out is that. They need to do, like, one of those epic rap battles with him and Yogi Berra. <laughs> well, Yogi Berra is like the master of malapropisms, right? Yeah. Uh, woke up this morning dead, or you know, <laughs> I, uh, deja vu all one. over again. Deja vu all over again. Yeah, exactly. That's that's totally totally that. And there's a the comedian night. I think he just passed away in 2020. Uh, Norm Crosby, who was from Boston, Mass. Yeah. Uh, he was like the master of malapropisms. That was his whole shtick. There was an incident I, like years, many, many, many moons ago. I was in my my first band, so I was barely out of my teens, right? And like to this day, we will still make fun of the guitar player any chance we get. 
because I forgot what the I don't even remember what the situation was. I just remember him flubbing this, where he was trying to say sarcastically, he was trying to say, "Oh, I just have a plethora of choices." But what he ended up saying was, "I just have a placenta of choices." <laughs> That's I will bring that one up at any chance I get. Yeah. Every every now and then I run into somebody who, who use or I run into some some person who's using like tickling the ivories wrong. What does tickling the ivories mean, Bill? That's playing the piano. Playing the piano, right? But it's it's because I guess that's not a common phrase anymore. People sometimes to use it as like organizing their thoughts, and every time they say like, "Well, what? I was in the shower tickling the ivories," and I was like, "That must have been a effed up shower, my friend," because <laughs> that pianos are not small things, and you're gonna ruin the piano that way. Yeah. Usually I just hum. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I sing along. I'm not much for the ragtime. I'm too, my hands are too busy shampooing. I brought my saxophone in there once and destroyed it. <laughs> a guy I used to work with used to say things were the cat's ass, but he when he would say that he would mean it. It was like the thing wasn't working, and I was like, Oh, oh my god, god, this thing is a cat's ass. I was like, No, man, that means it's that's good. Means you it, like it, right? That means it's good, right? That you're showing it off. That's what a cat does. It shows its ass off, yeah. and it shows you it doesn't care that you're looking at its ass. Like that's the you know. You see again. You and I both, Bill, on the same page with this. Oh, cliche. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, I got bad news for you. Oh. I Yeah, I, I did not come up with a trivia question for this week. I, <laughs> I, I have failed you. You have failed me for the last time. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's good because I, I, for just in case I had found myself in this predicament, which I didn't think would come this quickly, I have a trivia question for you, Mr. Bill. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I have one. I have one on deck. All right. So, shall I give it to you now? Oh, yeah, of course. Long dead former singer of the Beatles, Paul, Paul McCartney, yes. has a middle name. What might that middle name be? Paul McCartney's middle name. I'm going to say yeah. Billy Shears. <laughs> I'm not sure what his middle name is, but I'm pretty sure it's it's not the Pipes of Peace. So it's not Billy Shears. All right. Um, Shears. I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the show if, all you, right. if you can wait that long. Okay. I, I will wait. All right, so this is the week beginning, February the 15th, I believe. Yes, sir, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, not the day after Thanksgiving, the day after Valentine's Day. Yes. You can see how much, how much love I have for our American holiday calendar. It is Discount Chocolate Day. <laughs> it is almost that uh, Irish Parade Day. It's so. Dead Flower Day. So, all right, what do we got? We'll, we'll let you start. All right, February 15th, uh, 1830. Beginning of the famous debate between the French naturalist George Cuvier and another French naturalist named Etienne Geoffrey St. Hilaire about the structure of animals. And I know that you're thinking, what, Ooh, what, 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 what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> right. It's interesting in that this is a, a like a pre-Darwinian debate about evolution. And Cuvier, who was the father of modern paleontology, didn't believe in the evolutionary theory. He's the guy that coined the term dinosaur. And Etienne uh, Geoffrey St. Hilaire believed in it in an idea of evolution that hadn't really been completely sussed out in science yet uh, and that the earth had had ages and that during those ages there was differentiation in species from one age to another that carried on the, the traits of one type of that epoch of animal to this other type of the same animal but in a different epoch so it's pre-darwinian evolutionary discussion but it went on for a wicked long time with these two guys mm -hmm. like symposiums and papers and at the time you know they're sort of quill pen writing 
talk to one another in different journals about their particular theories and having these onstage debates in different uh, theaters in front of scientists and paid public to have these conversations about sort of where things have come from. And they're basing their examples on stuff that they've dug out of the ground. Um, Eddie and Jeffrey St. Hilaire was with Napoleon when he invaded Egypt. So he broke into tombs and found mummified cats and was like, look, a 2000 year old mummified cat doesn't look any different than the cat you have today. <laughs> and it's because it's only 2000 years old. But if this thing was buried 4 million years old, it would look different. You know, Cuvier was like, there's no 4 million years old earth heathen so it kind of went that way back and forth and uh it's interesting to like to walk to watch the way that that sort of thought overall has has changed over time as they say i could just see them like writing letters back home my dearest martha (laughs) this jeff roy is a knucklehead (laughs) get him and his goddamn cats away from me monsieur cuvier (laughs) i read your most recent article in the Journal of Natural Sciences, and I think you are a fat idiot, and no one likes you. I think your article is the cat's ass. <laughs> I was tickling the ivories before <laughs> writing this letter, and I think perhaps you should put food on your family. <laughs> yes, there's lots, there's lots to talk about here. I was actually just thinking about this earlier, where you know you have the biblical story of creation, and right. then you have like science. Yep. And it's it's amazing, like, the hoops and the bending over backwards that some people will do just to say that, you know, that the creation story is true or at least true enough. And it's like, I don't know. It's like we, we get so much evidence to the contrary. Why, you know, can we look at this? You know, I mean, think about we, we talked about Galileo last week. Okay. And, and like and he, he was in prison, like, you know, forever. And they only like forgave him. Like, I don't know what's recently too, like in our lifetime. Yeah. It was like 1950, like a lot, a lot of good that does him. Yeah. Well, what's like, what's interesting. And, and as you bring this up, right. Is St. Hilaire, what's known at the time as a deist, the, someone who believes that the, in the unmoved movie theory, that God, a God started the universe rolling and then sort of became like an absentee landlord or a drunken stepfather and just went <laughs> away and didn't ground stuff anymore. In that, that idea, you can reconcile the two things that there's all this natural shit's going on. And it all kind of got started by this guy who we don't really know much about, but this unseen force. And it doesn't really interact with stuff because we don't see those interactions today. But we can see the footprints of how all these changes have taken place. And it's not because we had a worldwide flood caused by some angry, pissed off God. It's happened over millions of years due to changes in temperature or earthquakes or volcanoes or whatever it was that they understood for how the planet sort of existed in the 1830s. And that carried on for a long, long time till until Darwin's theory sort of finalized it. Another guy named Charlie Lyell's na- uh, naturalism idea started to finalize that too, or universalism started to change the way that we viewed these things as being a separate thing from metaphysics and into actual physics. It's cool, like, with this particular discussion, because they're not talking about rocks versus strata versus whatever. They're basing their arguments on, well, look, a cat has two front paws and two back paws and a tail. An alligator has two front paws, two back paws, and a tail. A fish has two front fins, two back fins, and a tail. People have two front hands and two bottom feet and a, no tail, but they have a coccyx, which used to be a tail. Yep. So we're all the same. We're all based on the same thing. We're all based on the same design. I said that exact same thing to a creationist friend of mine. He was like, how can you say that you and a cat and an alligator all came from the same thing? I go, because we all have the same layout. Eyes are over here. The nose is right beneath it. There's the mouth and the assholes in the back. I mean, we're all built basically the same thing. Even the dinosaurs are like that. Right. And and it's, it's it was always sort of, it's clarified for me. And like if an, a race of aliens came here from another planet and they could only see x-rays, so they could only see your skeleton. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't know you necessarily from a cat because the only thing really different is the posture that you keep. And my ass. 
And you're right, where you're at. So I'm showing my ass, therefore I must be the cat. It's the cat's ass. So let's uh, let's move on to the right. 16th. A little less controversial here. Uh, much more fun. Yes. February 16th, 1905, the very first U.S. Esperanto Club organizes in Boston. All right, first of all, Esperanto is a, is a, a language. And it was invented yes. by this dude. I can't remember his name. I remember his, his, he was Polish. And yes. it's a it's supposed to be a universal language yep. that everybody could speak. That way, everybody on the planet speaks the same thing. You know, so there's, you know, there's no more English or French or Italian or <laughs> Zimbabwe language or Zulu or, or yeah. what have you, where it'd be one universal language. On paper, it sounds like a good idea, and then you realize that here we are in 2021, and you know, America can't still still can't get on board with the freaking metric system. So right. And Esperanto is an interesting language in that it, it, the, I forget again the Polish guy that invented it I can't remember his name oh. his his idea wouldn't be that everybody abandon the native language of their region or village or town or city or country or whatever and speak Esperanto it's that it would be used only for sort of diplomatic discussions so that all the parties at the table were speaking the same language which is a really really sort of interesting goal towards reducing the incidence of warfare based on misunderstanding uh-huh. Uh, his name was L.L. Zamenhof. Zeme- Zamenhof, yeah. And his name in Esperanto is John Jacob Jingleheimer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Esperanto, I've seen it like written down. It's it's interesting. If you have a working knowledge of like the way romance languages, like the linguistics of it work, because yeah. they're a little bit, you know, backwards compared to uh, Germanic languages. If you have a working knowledge of how romance languages work and you can speak English, if you have Esperanto written down in front of you, you can kind of read it. You can make sense out of it anyway. It's true. And, and, uh, and, and messing around with an Esperanto translator, you know, in advance of today's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you, Bill, what's the name of today's show in English? This week was What's the name of the show? this week was yeah you don't throw me off I was like this week sorry, this, sorry about that uh, this this episode is uh, the evolution episode uh, no this <laughs> is uh, this week was way better last year how would you say that in Esperanto so you would say Tradukavico Trolonga reprovu post calcage secundage okay so what I said before like somebody spilled a fifty five gallon drum of alphabet soup in my, <laughs> in my bedroom all right so what I said before is apparently completely wrong because that doesn't. <laughs> That doesn't uh, make any sense to me at all. There's only one person I've ever heard that spoke Esperanto, and that's Sting from the police. Sting from the police like speaks like eight different languages or something like that, and one of them happens to be Esperanto. Freaking maniac. It'd be funny if all of his languages were non-existent languages like Esperanto, Klingon. <laughs> Sanskrit. Languages that he, we need a translator. We don't have anybody, but Sting's here. You know, you can do interpretive dance, too. It's not going to help. Um, no, he recorded the song to do 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 to da da da, which is funny because it's a nonsense lyric anyway. But he recorded the rest of the song in like five different languages, and one of them was Esperanto. Oh, that must have been funny to listen yeah. to. There's a terrible film from the '60s called Incubus, which was all the script was all done in Esperanto, was all acted out in Esperanto, and it stars William Shatner, who speaks Esperanto all the way through it. And what I learned watching that film is Esperanto sounds a lot like people making fun of the way Italian people talk. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounds like, and I'm not going to do it because it sounds terrible. But <laughs> but as I was watching it, there's a lot of illies stuck onto the end of words. It sounds like a bad Italian uh, accent. does. It does. Mario and Luigi quality. So <laughs> that's Esperanto. It doesn't get used much anymore. It's more of a weird, weird novelty language like Klingon. Yeah, it's a punchline of a joke kind of now. Austin Powers movies, he makes that joke. It's like, you're speaking in Esperanto. I can't understand you. <laughs> All right, moving on. 
to the 17th. What do you got? All right, February 17th, 2016. Uh, the oldest known case of human Neanderthal sex is revealed by the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology, where a 50,000-year-old Neanderthal woman's remains from the Adelaide Mountains show traces of Homo sapien DNA. So, Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> and it doesn't say which, which progenitor was modern human or... Cro-Magnon and which one was was Neanderthal based on the DNA, I guess, of this of the body, but it makes me think of my least favorite of all Iron Maiden songs, Bill. Which you is? know which Iron Maiden song that is? I, I do, but I it's it starts with this. In the time when dinosaurs walked the earth, Quest for Fire, <laughs> Quest for Fire, which is technically a movie about Neanderthals having sex with modern human women in their quest during their quest for fire. But dinosaurs uh, didn't walk the earth at that time, Mr. Dickinson. Yes, that's true. That's true. And and poor whoever, Adrian Smith or, or whatever, who wrote that song, they, they must have skipped that part. Because the rest of the song's lyrics are pretty much just a description of the VHS tape, of the film that's <laughs> on the VHS tape, that you would get at the rental store. You, they they could have made that album so much better if they made that the last track, so you could just skip, and you're all done. Yes, yes you scratch it. <laughs> And get rid of it. Yes, uh, that one, and, and then that, the "To Tame a Land," the song about Dune, which is unless you've read Dune, it might as well be an Esperanto. Okay. All right, so so, so we'll get back to our actual uh, yes. segment over here. A toque uh, was the Neanderthal <laughs> here. I don't know if a toque was the the Neanderthal or Lana uh, was the Neanderthal, but it looks like it was a Neanderthal woman that was found. So. Okay, so uh, so so a toque being uh, a Cro-Magnon is that in our story? For our narrative, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, we're we're using a comedy film called Caveman as our measure, so they were more like modern humans, but I guess... But uh, but, I mean, in our story, so it was a Cro-Magnon dude, we'll we'll call him Atuk, just to keep our story straight, and he saw Lana, who was a Neanderthal, Neanderthal. so close enough, I guess, he was like, hey, you know, nobody else is around. (laughs) I like those big big meaty arms and that huge brow ridge, (laughs) you know, she's got more hair than I do. (laughs) Uh, but no so i like the natural look you got there (laughs) there are traces of homo sapien dna so it's not a 50 50 split or something that would suggest that her father was like a cro-magnon and her mother was a neanderthal yeah mother was a neanderthal somewhere somewhere back in the tree but it suggested that this was like that this may have taken place like even as far back as fifty thousand additional years like a hundred thousand years ago when dinosaurs walked the earth intermingling (laughs) yes yes and they were they were having zug zug (laughs) So anyway, interesting stuff. And if if the, we seem to be on an evolutionary track with our show today, uh, if you're interested in this stuff, this you can fall down this rabbit hole lickety split. To use another cliche. Whenever you brought this up in the pre-show, all, you, all I could think of is like it's like some episode of Forensic Files. It's like right. they found traces of semen and the Neanderthal body. Nope, one like that. Well, if you like go back and watch the way they excavated the, I don't know if you guys remember the the, the Alps Iceman. This is from like 1993 or so, where they somebody found a body while they were hiking and they're like, oh my god, there's a dead guy and he's like half in the ice and he's still preserved and he was like 50,000 years old too. It's a movie with Paulie Shaw. Still had his clothes on, still holding a, like a homemade ice axe and he was frozen, frozen and, and desiccated and dead. And they were able to figure out like what he'd last eaten, if he had cancer, all this other stuff that he would, what his injuries were from because they were able to do the forensic files type thing on his body. So, all right, so moving on. Uh, so it's February the 18th. We're going to take a break from the science and move on to rock and roll. February 18th, 1974, the rock band Kiss releases their debut album. Nice. And uh, if you think we're talking about Kiss too much on this podcast, tough. All right? (laughs) It's been one of my favorite bands for my entire life. They are just, they are rock and roll. So 
deal with it. Um, I, I, Kiss is my my favorite of the bullshit rock and roll artists who become way too much <laughs> engrossed in their own ridiculousness mm-hmm. that it almost subsumes who they are as people. Like, I don't know Paul Stanley as anything but Paul Stanley from Kiss. And <laughs> when I think of him, I think of him with the friggin' eye thing on because for so many years they wouldn't be seen in public without it. Oh, right, yeah. I love watching interviews with Paul Stanley. He's like one of the one of the most like interesting people. I couldn't stay whenever I was a kid listening to Kiss, I didn't like Paul Stanley. But as as an adult, I love his story because you know he was a, a you know like this weird kind of kid. He only had one ear. They used to call him his real name is Stanley. First name is Stanley. Uh, they used to call him Stanley the Monster because he only had one ear. And then he grows up. He was only a kid when he started in Kiss. He was like their first album came out. He was only like eighteen or nineteen years old. You know, he goes from getting you know bullied and picked on to getting more tang than John Glenn. You know, <laughs> that's a joke for our older listeners. Yeah. <laughs> What's what I love about this record is like there, there's still cuts on it that are so good that they show up on other greatest hits records when this record had no greatest hits on it or even really singles like Strutter and Cold Gin. The last time I saw Kiss, you know, they played like a good three or four songs from this yeah. first album yep. still yeah yep yep still playing them and and gene, as gene simmons would say you don't mess with the formula that makes money yeah. so knowing that strutter is something something that people who go to see kiss are going to want to hear right god damn it they're going to go all the way back to 1974 and they're going to play it um, i for one support that all right so kiss came out in 74 and right. then what was the next one was the next one dressed to kill uh no right. uh, dressed to kill was actually their third album Okay. Um, the second album was Hotter Than Hell. Oh, it was Hotter but, Than Hell. Yeah, yeah, but seriously, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dressed to Kill were basically all recorded on the same weekend. Um, <laughs> because, like, you know, Kiss, the the first album came out February. Hotter Than Hell came out later that year. They both came out in 1974. And then Dressed to Kill came out in 1975. They, like, you know, they rushed it out. All three of those albums, like, back to back, they're almost, they're just over an hour and a half long. So if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Dress to Kill is the big joke about that one is it's such a short album that the spaces in between the songs are like two or three times normal the length of, of spaces in between songs on an album just to make it longer. Even with the yep. spaces with the song, it's barely it's barely over a half an hour long. And, and I'm looking I'm looking at the set the uh, the track listing now, and every song except for one is under three minutes. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Ramones Total album. Yeah. It's like a thirty minute song, so it's like buying an extended single these days. Right. The best thing about Dress to Kill though is it still has Kiss's all time best, and the song that will be remembered literally a bazillion years from now when space aliens land on this hulk of a planet is rock and roll all night. Yep. The be- that's the best thing I think they ever wrote was that song. It's that the is, pinnacle of greatness. That is the, such a fun anthem of a song. And whenever I, I saw Kiss the last time, um, probably about two years, just about two years ago now, it was it was just awesome. Just a, It's like I've heard that song a billion times, and it's, I literally never have to hear it again. But you know what? That doing it live is just it's just magnificent. It's just a it's it's a spectacle. The last guitar lesson I I had before I I went to uh, to gym and killed myself. I learned to play uh, rock and roll all night in about <laughs> like thirty minutes oh, yeah. with my guitar teacher. He's like, "This song's so easy. You don't even need tabs." I'm like, oh, "Okay." I've I've tried and, it on uh, the ukulele, and the thing is with uh, on the ukulele, I don't know what E chords are like. On guitar, but on the ukulele, it's like a yoga stretch. It's terrible. Yeah, it's so it's many... a one finger chord on guitar. Oh no, so not on the ukulele. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go on to the nineteenth, February nineteenth. Uh, hey, uh, speaking of, of things that evolve and die off, uh, publicity stunts aren't so much the thing 
now as they were, I guess, in the early part of the nineteenth twentieth uh, century. No, they've been re- they've getting, been replaced getting, with the they've been replaced with Facebook face, hoaxes, right? Facebook vi- going viral, right? But imagine though, the big a big thing used to be get, to get into the local paper. Yep. So getting in the local paper, you do some dumb, stupid thing to to get the paper to come out and see. And if you get more than one paper, so much the better. So that's why yep. people went over Niagara Falls in barrels and yep. shot themselves out of cannons or whatever. Or in the case of February 19th, 1914, parents mailed their four-year-old child by ch- <laughs> what <laughs> to their grandparents' house. Yeah, they mailed their four-year-old child, uh, Charlotte May Piersdorf. Uh, she was ma- mailed from Grangeville, Ohio to her grandparents' house some 73 miles away. They put her in a box, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> well, as soon as like the parcel post started, parcel post wasn't a thing until 1912, and as soon as that started, people would write letters to the postmaster and say like, "Hey, what's the going rate to mail a kid?" <laughs> and he eventually came out and said like, "You can't mail animals. You just can't. You can't mail animals. It's not a thing. You can mail bees and you can mail bugs, but you can't mail mammals or reptiles or fish." And that hasn't that didn't stop parents from like, "Hey, calling a local newspaper as they put their kid in a satchel with some stamps stuck to their chest." And off they go, and they get mailed out, and and it was uh, probably twenty or thirty times that happened between nineteen twelve and nineteen fourteen. I just picture little Susie like like wrapped up, like a mu- like with a mummy, like you know, like a mummy in the the postmaster right. with like the stamp that says Oklahoma <laughs> punk on her head. There's some pretty funny pictures of kids like in like mail carrier bags, like mm-hmm. just sitting there, like my parents don't want me. And getting ready, you know, walking off with the postmaster. So it's pretty, it's some pretty funny stuff. I remember hearing a story about a guy that like tried mailing himself somewhere like, you know, in a, you know, in a box or whatever, because it was cheaper than flying. So he tried mailing himself. But the only problem is like one, the cargo area of an airplane isn't, it's not one, it's not pressurized. One, it's not pressurized. So your ears will freaking explode. And two, it's also not heated. It's like very, very cold in there. So yeah, he he didn't do well, I guess. Funny story, uh, you said the only thing that you can mail legally is like bugs, you said? Yeah, bees or bugs. Now, that didn't stop my mother, who, (laughs) this is like a a legendary family story. My mom got pissed off at my grandmother one time, so she mailed her a snapping turtle. Nice. So here's, here's Meme. Oh, what's this box? Oh, it sounds like there's something inside it. It opens up and ah, it's this angry turtle like, you know, snapping at it. <laughs> never say bad things about a relative that's a French Canadian. <laughs> so you get the snapper turtle treatment. Lesson I learned, I never piss off my mom and then, you know, open a letter. <laughs> All right. So moving on with our evolutionary science uh, episode. <laughs> February the 20th, 2012, scientists successfully regenerate the flowering plant Celine, I think I dated this girl, Celine Stenophilia. Yeah, she was lovely. Uh, anyway, uh, they regenerate the... You have to get shots after your second date. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they regenerated this flowering plant from a 31, almost 32,000-year-old piece of fruit, which surpassed the previous record uh, of only 2,000 years old. So prior to that, they had this, like, weird fruit that I guess, you know, Jesus had at the Last Supper, and they were able to regenerate that. Now they're going back. Yeah, they found that one. They actually found that one in like an Egyptian tomb. It was a. It was. It was from fruit that was that was buried with some guy in like the Valley of Kings. They regrew that two thousand year old. Oh, you can't take it with you. Well, the devil, I can. I'm. I'm having this pomegranate. 
That guy must have been pissed at the afterlife for the first, like, three years when he would have been just, God, there's fruit flies and then ghosts of fruit flies everywhere in this pyramid. Oh, I'll never bring figs with me again. See, I would have brought, see, if I, if I was thinking ahead, I would have made the, the fruit I brought with me Dorian because I figure it's going to smell like the devil's hole in there anyway. <laughs> Do you know what Dorian is? Have you ever heard no. of that? Dorian is actually illegal in this country. Although you can get it if... Oh, yeah. it's that fruit that's... Yeah, yeah. that smells they like... They call it the death fruit because it smells yeah. like a rotting carcass. Corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's supposed to be very sweet and uh, like almost like a custardy kind of gooey stuff inside. And Good. And something that smells like dead body that's gooey. Which is exactly yeah. what I want to try and find a way to eat. Yeah, who the hell tried that? Like, hey, what's this piece of fruit that smells like... I'm going to try it. Hey, does this, smell, does, this, does this smell like it's rotten yeah. to you? <laughs> Hey, it's, it's actually pretty good. What do you know? Nah, it's sweet. You know what? This, the, I, nobody's ever eaten that. That's the other guy who's like should try to screw his, the guy over that's like, does this smell bad to you? <laughs> no, it's fine. Watch. I eat some. No, it's great. The other guy, I'm not going to try it. It smells bad. That's on a weird bucket list. The- that's on a weird bucket list of mine, though. I want to try Dorian for the same reason that I used to do the polar plunge. You know, it's like, well, nobody else is going to do it. Fair <laughs> enough. So, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, right? I want to I try Dorian, but uh, I don't know if I would want to. Go on a second date with Celine Stenophilia, <laughs> yeah, which is a 32,000-year-old piece of fruit. Uh, yeah. Do they still have this, do you know? Yeah, yeah, this, they, it still grows. Uh, they were able to cultivate it and bring, kind of bring it back. And it was found in like a like a, a buried old ancient squirrel's nest in Siberia, in the permafrost of Siberia where the fruit had frozen. Huh. So it goes to show that like... Stuff stuff can be preserved and, and transit a tremendous amount of time, given the right conditions. And like anything else, like the measures that we have for how old things are and how different things are as they evolve over time is always in the shape of being reformed by what we understand and how things work. So, I mean, there have been other non-plant-related stuff, like every time they discover a Tyrannosaurus skull, they're like, it's a new species of Tyrannosaurus, and then... A couple years later, somebody's like, ah, it's a teenage Tyrannosaurus. And then somebody's like, well, it's a juvenile Tyrannosaurus. And and rather than being a different species, it's it's actually just part of the lineage because we only have a, a few of these things to sort of mess around with. And the same with same with these kind of like plants that you find in the middle of a Siberian squirrel's nest from 32,000 years ago. Yeah, they found like thousand-year-old like honey too, right? Yep. Like, a, like an Egyptian. Yeah, honey doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really go right, bad. Honey doesn't. It doesn't go bad, yeah. They just have to, you know, reconstitute it. It's like I don't, I don't know if I would be the first guy to try it. You know, it's like, all right, dude, you're either gonna try the three thousand year old honey or the Dorian fruit. What are you gonna do? Uh, the, honey, the honey looks more like candy, and it doesn't smell like a dead person. So, I'll, I'll, even though it was with a dead person, I'm gonna eat that. All right, and let's wrap up the week on February the twenty first. February the twenty first, nineteen fifty eight. It's gonna sound like it's a lot earlier than you think it is for this, but uh, that's the birth of the. As we understand it today, the peace sign. Oh. Uh, still an international symbol that's recognized no matter where you kind of go in the world, I think. Yep. That sign with the circle with the, the bisecting apex and the two 30-degree uh, angles off of the apex was originally built to model two letters in semaphore. Which is? The N for nuclear and D for disarmament. What, what is semaphore? Semaphore is communicating with flags. Oh, okay. It used to be how ships or armies communicated on the field when they were far away before radio. Yep. So you'd spell out N, the two lines down, or the 45-degree angles, and D with the one flag above your head and one sort of between your okay. legs, and that's uh, M-N. So 
So that's that's what that symbol means, nuclear disarmament. That is actually fascinating to me because when I was a kid, my father gave me a different explanation for that. He said, and it made perfect sense too, like if you look at it, that it is the, ready for this? It's the base of the cross when Jesus was crucified because you can't just stick a, a, you know, a, a thing in the ground. It needs support. So the two things he said were the supports. It was the base of the cross for the crucifixion. That's what he said it meant. I see your dad's never put up a fence post before. You just dig a deep hole and he dropped the fence post in and it stands straight no, up. My, my, but, my uh, father could barely stir his own coffee. when it came. He, he, was, he wasn't the most handy person, no. Well, well, back back during the old uh, satanic panic in the 1980s, Bill, yes. I'm sure you remember that we were told that the peace sign was the cross with the arms broken yes, yes. as mocking yeah. Jesus' death. Yeah. Ah. All right, so celebrity birthdays, February the 15th, 1954, creator of The Simpsons. I'm going to say his last name wrong. Matt. You are. Graining. Uh, Matt Graining. It looks like it says groaning, but it's graining. Yep. Uh, yep, made The Simpsons. It's graining. Simpsons. It's a, you know, when it's graining, it's a good day for sleeping. Oh, go. yeah, it's graining out. Yeah, it's, imagine, if this was all, imagine if this was all family guy. Ooh, what would you do? <laughs> Uh, so Matt Groening was the creator of The Simpsons. I actually knew of him a little bit before The Simpsons because he used to do a comic strip called Life in Hell with some one-eared bunnies. Yep, I remember that too. We used to read that in the Boston Phoenix. Right, or uh, I knew it from the Providence Phoenix, which was no- known as the new paper at that time. Yep, uh, he's still, uh, I mean, The Simpsons is still on as of this recording Good for him. Yep. Yeah. He also also created Futurama, yep. which ran for a long time, and Disenchanted, which ran for a season. Uh, hey, it's yeah. one of those things where, hey, you, you struck gold, dude. Good for you. I remember you and I sitting sitting in the Dartmouth <laughs> Mall. In the mall. Like the Simpsons, yeah. they, like they weren't even a TV series yet. They just had the... Uh, the, 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 Christmas the Christmas special. special. And I was imitating yeah. Marge's sisters, and you were just like pissing your pants laughing. Dying, yeah. yes. It's Marge there. Marge there. Who can I say is calling? All right, let's move on to the 16th. All right, February 16th, 1958. The greatest rapper who ever lived, uh, and probably will ever live, Tracy Marrow, known to the world as Ice-T, poet and a fantastic writer, a good actor, (laughs) and stalwart cast member of what will guaranteed at some point be a show produced by the cockroaches that inherit the earth, um, Law and Order SVU, but got his start in a film that Bill and I watched not too long ago called Breaking Two, Electric, Electric Boogaloo, yep. playing the rapper. I'm saying that with my air quotes. Yeah, with, uh, he had like yeah. the uh, the uh, the senior citizen sunglasses, the wraparounds there. Put out some of the some of the best rap albums of the 80s. Yeah, and and he did that that metal band too, their body count. Yep. Body count, yep, and got himself into trouble. Yep. Lost his record contract. Went out on his own with his own company. Got pissed off at Warner Brothers. Yep. And you know what I really, I uh, ended up. In I really liked about him is they were they were interviewing him, and you know he's a guy. He's like you know early fifties or late forties when they're interviewing him. They were asking him. They're like you know you're, you're on this TV show. You're playing a cop. I mean, what do you I mean? You said all these things. You had the song Cop Killer when you were you know in Body Count, and then all these other things that you said when you were doing music. He was like, I was a kid. I was a kid. People grow up. People change. That was the right thing for the right time at that time. He goes, I don't think like that now. You know, that's uh, and that's a, a conversation we had, uh, my friends and I recently with about cancel culture. Is honestly, we really need to come up with a, a like a, a standard, a statute of limitations where if you said something ten years ago, it doesn't count anymore. You know? Yeah, it's funny because people people want everyone. Well, people generally want people to change. Mm-hmm. 
and show and show that they evolve with the times. Right. right. I'm saying that with my air quotes. Hey, again, with the evolutionary episode. Right. And then they complain when people change, and they're like, oh, he's a flip-flopper. Right. Well, like, well, which one is it? I can only tickle the ivories for so long about this. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the 17th, February the 17th, 1981. A woman who is famous just for being famous. A woman who is hated just for being hated. Her name is Paris Hilton. A woman who doesn't recognize when the camera's night vision light is on. <laughs> little red dot it's none of your damn business is what that is this is just for you and me sweetie i swear uh she came out with a uh music album i'm gonna say not all that long ago it was probably 10 years ago now she's not a musician she doesn't write songs they these were all written for her and the album flopped terribly because everybody hated her (laughs) yeah nobody likes yeah yeah it's tough when you're fame your only claim to fame is like you're the heir to the hilton fortune and you're that's it, dude. <laughs> That's yeah. it. There, there you go. You, you pretty much it's all there. And it's like everything you've ever done has been just done for you. You've been handed to you on a silver right. platter and you don't have to work a day in your life. Yeah, I mean, you're... Like, why, why, why are you on my FM radio station when I could be listening to Ice-T? <laughs> your, your TV show was basically us laughing at somebody who's never had a dirty fingernail in her life suddenly having to, like, you know, pick up pig... Yeah. Right. February 18th, 1933, your friend and mine, Yoko Ono, destroyer of the Beatles after Paul McCartney died. Uh, She's a singer and artist, and I say the first part of that with uh, my eyebrow spocked into the most Spock-like position ever. And then uh, she definitely is a a visual artist of some renown. Yeah, born in Tokyo, Japan, and uh, met John Lennon somewhere around 64, 65, and uh, horned in on that action. (laughs) And then the rest is history. She's still still kicking around, right? Yep. So, uh, Pretty sure. As of this recording, yep. As of this recording, she's out there, I'm sure, making someone go put their hands over their ears and go like, just stop. Yep. Just for the for love of God, I'll look at what you're drawing, but stop talking to she's me. She's the cat's ass, yeah. She, she, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, and uh, ironically enough, also on February 18th, we can't go, we can't do one without the other here. Uh, 1947, misplaced opera star slash musical pioneer Dennis DeYoung, vocalist of Styx. Um, All right, so one one broke up the Beatles and the other one broke up Styx. Broke up Styx, <laughs> yes, and by making them play the softest of soft rock until they finally booted him out of the band uh, following some robot talk. Yep. Dennis DeYoung, yeah, right. 1947, February 18th. Come sail away with us. February 19th, 2004, Millie Bobby Brown, who everybody would know and love as Eleven from... That's her prerogative. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not that, that Bobby Brown. Um, the Bobby Brown... Millie Van- Wait a minute, is this, a, is this the spawn of Millie Vanilli and New Edition? No, it's uh, Millie Vanilli and the girl from the Warrant video Cherry Pie. Oh, His name go. was also Bobby Brown. Anyway, uh, Millie Bobby Brown is Eleven from the Stranger Things series. She was also in that Godzilla. That's movie. right. Yep. I've tried so hard to make go away from my memory <laughs> as a Godzilla fan. Yep. Uh, she was doing a quest. This is my only connection here. Uh, I do like Stranger Things. It's it's pretty cool. She's actually the best, definitely the best part of that about that show. But she was uh, at a Comic-Con and she was doing a question answering period. And she was like, I think. I think she was around 12 or 13 years old and my friend's son was around 12 or 13 years old and he stands up to ask a question <laughs> and he goes like you know kind of like shyly but kind of like bigger balls than i'll ever have at the same time yeah. he was like um will you marry me 
And she goes, let's see the ring. <laughs> he gave her a ring and everything, and she wore it for the rest of the con. It was really cute. Wow, yeah. that's really yeah. funny. So, yep, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, my Very my friend's cool. son's fiance, apparently. And she's uh, rumored to be in the in the next Godzilla film, King Kong versus Godzilla, oh, nice. when that eventually comes out. So, uh, who knows? I, I I love King Kong. That's like one of my favorite uh, for the big kaiju monsters. I guess King Kong yeah, falls yeah. into that category. Yeah, King Kong's my favorite. Oh, he does. Yeah. All right, moving on. February the 20th. Who do you got? February 20th, 1926. You may not recognize this name, but you'll recognize a bunch of the titles of stuff that he's written. Uh, Richard Matheson, who is a super-duper prolific writer, both uh, novels and short stories, and uh, not surprisingly for the time, television teleplays. He wrote like half of Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. Yeah, he wrote like half of those episodes of that show. He wrote I Am Legend, which became The Omega Man, The Last Man on Earth, and then I Am Legend with Will Smith. He wrote... Steel, which became real steel with Hugh Jackman. A whole bunch of his stuff has been converted into into screenplays and teleplays and stuff. And Omega Man was a song by the police, but Sting did not write it in Esperanto. It's a good thing because it probably would have sounded like somebody making fun of Italians. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Italians, uh, February the 21st, not <laughs> Italian, but his name is Tony, so who knows. February 21st, 1946, Tony Daniels, who is definitely not Italian. He's very English if you've ever spoken to him. Um, I, I did speak to him. Well, I said hi. He said hi back. Very nice man. I absolutely hated C-3PO in the Star Wars films. All nine, eight out of nine of those films. I remember going to see Force Awakens, and I was so happy that the, apparently the droids weren't in it. And then about third act, C-3PO comes onto the screen. I'm like, oh, no! But you know something? Uh, I know we talked about this before, that you haven't seen Rise of the Skywalker yet. But that is C-3PO's finest moment. There was a a, a self-sacrifice scene in the movie, and I was like, oh, my God, C-3PO is the hero of this freaking franchise. Good for them. Good for you. Good for you, Mr. Daniels. Then he does his own voice as C-3PO on the Robot Chicken Star Wars-ish episodes. Yeah, one particular one where he's where they they redo the, like the what I really need is a droid that speaks the binary language of load lifters. Do you speak multiple languages? Moist, moisture evaporators. I do. No oh, moisture evaporators. Right? And he goes, yes, I'm a protocol droid. I speak hundreds of languages. He goes, how about Spanish? And then it just fades into him in his Spanish class. And the teacher goes, mi amo, teacher. Eh? And he goes, C three PO, C. 3PO, and he writes 3PO on the board. He goes, no, C-3PO, C-3PO, Iyamo and 3PO. He's like, no, C-3PO. So it was very funny. Uh, now, I wonder if, if if Tony Daniels ever put out an album, you know, like uh, Lindsay Lohan or uh, Paris Hilton, because undoubtedly it would include the hit single. The Worst Song Ever. All right, what do we got for our contender for worst song ever this week, Mr. McLarge? All right, our, our contender for worst song this week comes to us from the the darkest time in American pop music history, the early 1970s, where the in an effort to shake off the harsh ending of the 1960s, popular music became this sort of mayonnaise slash sour cream white weirdness of inoffensive, terrible garbage that inexplicably hung on the charts like lichen for years and years. So this one is uh, a band that was originally named Don, two sisters who sang in it, uh, and their friend Tony Orlando. Then it became Don with Tony Orlando, which is when they recorded this song. And then it became Tony Orlando and Don when they started being on TV because that's what people wanted to see. They didn't want to see Don with Tony Orlando. I I got Um, a question for you. 
Sure. What song are you talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm talking about this horrible song called Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. It was written by Erwin Levine and Russell Brown, who are longtime songwriters. I don't know what else that they've done that's popular, but if it's anything like this, it's probably relegated to the cruder time, cruder times of the early 1950s or, or like musical theater. And this song is terrible. All right. Terrible in Let's play ways. a clip. What time? This is just, I don't, yeah, this it, this is like like what you were saying. This was made to not offend anybody. This is just wholesome. Right. This is like a glass of milk. So it's wholesome. However, it's a song about a guy coming home from jail. Yeah. <laughs> He's been in jail for three years. A wholesome jail, so, though. It's a so nice like, wholesome jail. So awesome. Wholesome jail. He must have done something uh, that, that, did, that wasn't violent or terrible, so... Uh, he's on his way home from jail, and he's written his girlfriend a letter and told her that you know he's being released and he's coming home on the bus, and if she really wants him back, she should put a yellow ribbon around the tree in front of her house. And then he's afraid to look and see if there's a yellow ribbon on the tree because he doesn't know if he can deal with her not wanting him anymore, which is fine and dandy. And you would think that it would make way more sense if he wasn't coming from jail. Well, I don't think he killed a person. If, he, if he's coming home, he probably just had like a lot of parking tickets or something. Uh, the song is is terrible. It's orchestrated poorly. It sounds like it sounds like it should be like the game show music for the credit sequence at the end of the game show. Like that's how terrible it is. The theme from Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. And and <laughs> you can actually do that. You can have some Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. <laughs> it tastes real good, but it smells like feet. <laughs> Whenever I was a little kid, Tony Orlando and Dawn were very popular. I remember really, like, I was a little, little, little kid. And I liked the song, Sweet, Has Anybody Seen My Sweet Gypsy Rose? That was like a ragtime, that had like a ragtime feel to it. And I think I've always kind it's of... It's the same song as this one. It's not. It's not. I listened to it back to back. But you know what's really funny about this? That Sweet Gypsy Rose song, they released, get it ready for this. Tony Orlando and Dawn released a concept album. Like, the album told the story. Like, we're talking, like, Pink Floyd, The Wall, The Who's Tommy, The Who's Quadrophenia, Trapped in a Closet from R. Kelly, and Tony Orlando <laughs> and Dawn. Hey, The Elder by Kiss. And The Elder Kiss by Kiss. Yeah, elder. Don't forget, yeah. Yes. And, anyway, can't forget that. And then Tony Orlando, what the hell was their concept album about? Like, was it just trying to procure monstrous amounts of cocaine for Tony Orlando? Because at the time, he was he was pretty much 50% cocaine. You Yeah, you could. he was interchangeable with Freddie Prince. They, they yeah. looked exactly the same. To me, anyway. Also, whenever I was a kid, I remember asking my my father the question. I was like, which one's Orlando? Because <laughs> I, I just assumed his name was Tony. And I thought one of the girls' name was Dawn. So I thought the other girl's name was Orlando. And he was I was like, which one's, you know, Orlando? He goes, no, it's Tony, Orlando. Like, there was, I thought there was a missing comma or something. But the big question on my mind is, why even have Dawn there in the first place? If you listen to the songs, they're like invisible. They could be anybody. They could be a cutting. Yeah, yeah. it's it's weird because like they like the the two sisters are be- they're beautiful singers and they're way better than backup singers and they shouldn't be in the back right. the background the way that they are, but that's where they ended up. Yep. And uh they are actually still performing together all three of them. Like there's nobody's oh, ever been switched out. It's never been like Tony Orlando and 
you know, mid dusk or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Where in Branson, Missouri, do they have their residence, Bill? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're, uh, they're they're making the rounds of the local casinos. So yeah, Tony Orlando and Don they had a variety show too. Because why? Yep. Of course they did. Course it was yeah, did. it was the early yeah. '70s. Yeah, I got nothing really else to say about them. They had this song, "Sweet Gypsy Rose," and what was the third one? Oh, "Knock Three Times." Knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. Twice on the pipe, clang clang. If the answer is no, you know I know this song and that song and. Sweet Gypsy Rose so well. Because you have Tony Orlando and Don's Greatest Hits. That's it's a three song EP. Um yeah, my dad listened to these these three singles specifically over and over and over and over and over again. To the point where it was like being waterboarded with music. <laughs> All right. Well uh, well with our exploration of the the vast uh, expanse of awesomeness that is Tony Orlando and Don, are you ready to uh to venture guesses to you Sir Paul McCartney's middle name? All right. Paul McCartney's middle name. I am going to go and guess. This is a, a logical guess. I'm going to guess that his middle name is Ramon because <laughs> he used to uh, check into hotels under the uh, pseudonym of Paul Ramon, which is uh-huh. which is why the Ramones picked their name for their band. Well, you made a great guess. I'm wrong, ain't I? Unfortunately, it's wrong, uh, yes. Same. His middle name. Paul Son McCartney's of every name. possible bitch. Okay. What's his name? Paul McCartney's middle name is Paul. So his name okay. is Paul Paul McCartney, like Dan Dan Fielding from Night Court? No, it's James Paul McCartney. And he goes by the name Paul, or did while he was still alive, before he released Wings and all the other records in the 80s and suck. Everything uh, I freaking know is... Oh my God! His name is not Paul. That's his middle name. Nixon lied. There's nothing else to believe in. What the hell? Look, you want to know something scary? Like Ringo's middle name is can't play drums. <laughs> okay, right. so that is going to wrap up our episode for this week. Have a great week, everyone. We will see you next week. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.